Hello and welcome to the Ask Adam and Ryan show. My name is Adam. Welcome. And my name is Ryan Sheehy and this is a show where you have questions and we have answers. Um, before we get started though, uh, somebody, so this podcast comes out on a Sunday <laughs> and a couple days ago would have been your birthday. Birthday, man. Your 40th birthday. July 5th. Yeah. July 5th. I think this, this episode is coming out that following weekend, whatever that is. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what are you doing for your birthday? Well, we were, we were originally supposed to be in Norway and Sweden. <laughs> what? Yeah, but my wife got a new job, and that took precedent over us going to Europe. So we're in Tahoe. We go to Tahoe all the time. Yeah. So we'll be in Tahoe for, um, for July 4th and my birthday. And I think I want to just do like a big multi-sport birthday, like where we'll go water skiing or I'll go on my stand-up paddleboard like in early in the morning, and then we'll go ski at Squaw because Squaw is still going to be open. Oh, that's cool! And then we'll go on one of our favorite hikes, which part of it passes over the Pacific Crest Trail. And um, one of my favorite restaurants uh, in the world is in Tahoe. And then just uh, just be with family, man. So and then so I told my wife what I want for my birthday is to go skiing in the Alps um, over Christmas this year. So I think that's what we're going to do. We're going to go ski in the um, in the Alps somewhere in Europe. So, That's but yeah, man, awesome. 40 is just a number, dude. I know you're like 29. You have like 11 <laughs> years until you're 40. I but a, I got a long way to go. I feel like, I'm, I feel like I'm 19. So everybody out there, age is just a number and you are, you feel how old you, you feel what you feel and forget the number. So I texted Adam last night. I said, what are we going to do for his I birthday? Know. We need to, we need to think of something big though. I, I was thinking like a helicopter ride in San Francisco or something. Yeah. I was thinking like bungee jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge or something. My <laughs> wife, wouldn't, my wife wouldn't allow that. She wants to stay safe. Stay you know? safe. I would go skydiving. I've never been skydiving. Yeah. Have you been skydiving? I've never been skydiving. I don't know if I could do it. Growth mindset, dude. Uh, yeah. I'm going to tell you right now. So growing up, uh, I was like the fearless kid. I had no fear of heights. I was the top highest point of the trees. I was willing to jump off yeah. anything. I used to jump off houses into pools all the time. And then um, I must have been like sixth grade or seventh grade. And we went and hiked Half Dome in Yosemite. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, so for those of you that haven't been there, you get up to Quarter Dome and then it's cables all the way up to the yeah. top. So you have to hold on to these tables. And I got up there into Quarter Dome and I looked off to the right and I looked off to the left. It was just sheer drop offs. And it scared the crap out of me. And from then on, I have been scared of heights really? and uh, actually couldn't make it up. I froze and I stayed at quarter dome. Really? And I, my brother went all the way up and I, there was no way I could do it. My body was hmm. froze. And so there was about three or four people that couldn't do it. It was a Boy Scout group. And um, I, I, after about half an hour of being up there, I was kind of acclimating myself. And then I went up to the cables and I went like probably 75 feet up and then turned around and came back. Mm -hmm. Um, but then I did it a couple years later, uh, many years later, probably 10 years later with my, with my wife and, uh, we get up, got all the way up to the top. And then my wife wanted to go sit on the edge with her feet over the edge. And I was like, no, there's no way, no way you're going to do that. So, um, but anyway, that's a little off topic of what we're going to do for your birthday, but we should yeah. do something. But it, it was, it was tied in with heights. Yeah. 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 So, no, we'll do something. Um, yeah, we'll do something. It's just, I'll be gone and then I'm going to be gone. Yeah, the end of July, all of August, and part of September. So maybe, so. maybe you can pencil the Sheehy's in for right before you go to the Alps. Something. Yeah, yeah. For, sure, <laughs> for sure, for sure, for so. sure.
Let's get started. Hey, All question right. number one. I'm entering my first year as a principal. I'm looking for activities to do with my staff on the first day. Any suggestions? Well, I'm going to tell you what you should not do. <laughs> you should not put them in the library or the staff room and talk at them all day long. And uh, you may have to go over bloodborne pathogens and some other things. And you do that as little as you need to. Building community, building culture, building cohesiveness, building relationships is what you need to do. I mean, there are so many different things you can do. You can send your staff on a scavenger hunt around the school in teams. You can send them on a scavenger hunt around town on teams. You can make videos. I remember one time my staff, I put them on a scavenger hunt and they had to make little 15 second videos and put them on Twitter around the school. And I was in my office following the hashtag and they had so much fun. And then I let them be in their classrooms the rest of the day after lunch. Yeah. And every district is a little bit different, but if you can kind of bend the rules, I think bending the rules is really important. Some districts have contracts that their teachers need to be with the principal all day long from eight yeah. to three. And, uh, you know, if you can kind of bend and finagle, you know, giving teachers that time, if it's the day before school or the week before school, time is the commodity that we just can't get any more of. So, I think it's an important question about what to do. I think more important is what you should not do because that is actually going to help yeah. you plan what you should do. So think about both. That makes sense. So when you did that, when you, that, that job, um, what, how many days a month or year did you get to work with your staff? Well, before school started, we had one day. Yeah. We had the day before school okay. in other States where I travel, they'll have two weeks. Yeah. Two weeks of paid, you're in your classroom, in your school meetings, PD. Yeah. And during the year, it was one day a month. So we had one staff meeting and that was my staff meeting and it was an hour. I rarely would do an hour. I would usually do 45 minutes and give yeah. my staff the 15 minutes back, which they always appreciated. I don't believe in having a meeting and staying the whole meeting just to have a meeting and stay the whole meeting. Yeah. And the rest of the days, it was like one day a week was their time as as great levels. So um, really being just thoughtful and the information I'm about to give you, could I given could I have given you that in an email or a little video form? And I think that's a really important thing. When you're together, make sure you're building culture, you're building community, you're talking about kids, you're talking about moving the school and where we where we can go from where we are. Not just don't forget to remind the kids not to run in the hallways and yeah. the lost and found is getting over overcrowded. Important information, but that does not need to be taken up when you're in person. That needs to be happening in an email uh, previously before the meeting. Yeah, no, for sure. I think uh, it's key and it's hard because I know for me, a lot of times I've taken my staff meeting approach that I anything that I can, can do in an email, we're not going to do in a staff meeting. Mm -hmm. But then there's people that don't read the emails. So then it creates a whole different chain of reactions that I need to handle and deal with. Um, so, you know, first day of school or first day with staff, we have three days. Uh, our teachers come back three days prior to the start of the school. Mm -hmm. The first day is typically a district design day so that we have, we're told what we have to do. Um, so last year it was a welcome back uh, keynote in the morning. And then we came back and we had to do, um, sexual harassment and bloodborne pathogen training for the rest of the day. Bloodborne pathogens. Um, and I felt bad. It wasn't my first first day with my staff, but I felt bad for any principal that um, it was mm -hmm. because it is not setting you up for success and not setting you up 
for a positive start because mm -hmm. people were pissed mm -hmm. and not happy. And then the second day is our staff day. And a lot of times the district gives us things to do. Um, I know for me, it was really important. My first day with my staff was um, to review our why, you mm -hmm. know, really define what's our why and what are our goals for this year. And to be able to identify those um, is key. And I never feel like uh, if you're a brand new principal, the, your first day back with staff should not be your first day meeting staff. Mm -hmm. um, you should have been intentional with the time leading up to that and set up um, little meetings, whether it's on-site, off-site. I know for me, I did it at Pete's Coffee down the street, not on-site because I wanted the conversation to be personal. Um, and my office manager set up uh, meetings for me. And... Um, all but two of my staff members um, met with me prior to the school year. Two of them were just out of town and our schedule wouldn't, wouldn't work. So I met two of my teachers on the first staff, uh, staff development day. The rest of them, I had met them prior to on that day, and that was key. But really getting in there, digging into our why, and making sure that that is the focus all year long. How can we relate everything we do back to our why? And if you can't, why are we doing it? Um, and really yeah. making sure yeah. that we're intentional with that. Question number two, what do you what do you do to make sure that all community understands and knows when you say all students, it means all students. This came up the other day at a training um, that I had and um, I was doing some equity training and, um, you know, and I, I kept on using the word all students and people um, kind of made some comments to me about, well, you're not defining who all students are. And uh, I said, students? and I said, okay. <laughs> And so really digging in deep and looking at it and making sure that, you know, even our subgroups of students know that when we see say all students, we're talking about them. And sometimes, you know, I could see I could see some of the point and making sure that, you know, our our uh, single plan for student achievement plans or whatever plan your district uses or your state uses, making sure that that defines what all students are and making sure that uh, you're really being intentional and making sure that every student is getting what they're doing. And so for me, it was really defining kind of who all students are, you know, doesn't matter ethnicity, um, doesn't matter gender, doesn't matter, um, you know, SPED student versus gen ed student, really defining those subgroups, making sure that, and seeing how can we provide supports for every single one of our students to get over the hurdles that they face. Yeah, so just to um, answer this question directly, what do you do? Well, when I was a leader of a school, we had a slogan and our slogan was team kid. So that really kind of spelled it out pretty simply. We didn't really have to explain it because if you look at our slogan, which was our hashtag was on t-shirts, it was on posters and banners and everywhere. People knew that we were on team kids. So you kind of say it while saying it, but also it's just like a subliminal message. And the community and the staff got to a point where if we would make decisions and if they weren't good for kids, we wouldn't make that decision or we would continue conversation. Uh, whoever that conversation or discussion was with, uh, we, we, we weren't ready if it wasn't the best thing to do for kids. So you can, you can articulate it in many different ways. I'm always been a fan of keeping it simple because the more simple it is, the more easily people can understand yeah. what you're trying to convey. I mean, I work with so many school districts and their mission statement is to ensure, ensure all learners are ready for the 21st century yeah. to be college and black. Like I get it, but like this is too complicated yep. and you can't break that down into simple terms and something that people can remember. If your own students in your school or district can't 
articulate what the vision and the mission is, what the vision statement is about all students, then it's too complicated. And I was talking to somebody about this the other day. You should be able to tell kids and then a couple months in, ask them, hey, what's our what's our um, our vision statement? And they should be able to tell you because they can't re they can't you know restate the long one. They can restate the short one. So I think that is actually a good thought process and kind of like scale of like, hey, if kids can repeat it, it's good. If it's too complicated that even our own students can't yeah. recite it, then I think we have some more work to do. Next question. How do you reach young men and build relationships with them when the majority of teachers are women? That's a great question. You know, yeah. when I was an elementary school teacher, I was always the token boy teacher, and um, which was funny. And I got those kids in my class, usually the boys that needed kind of like a, a different role model. And I, I would say it just all comes back to relationships and you just got to build relationships. And I know that's the question. How do you build relationships? Well, you can start by investing in your students and getting to know them and something about them. I would also say too, I have two children, one, uh, one boy, one girl, and the books that they read and the books that they choose are so vastly different. And when I go to classrooms and I see libraries, there's a lot of fiction books. And my daughter pretty much only reads fiction, where my son gravitates to 100% nonfiction. So, you know, making sure that you have those books in your classroom, that says a lot about the relationship building and the fact that the, you're thinking about the books that all genders read, not just the girls or not just the boys. So, <clears throat> and highlighting those books in your class. When a teacher, female or male, has a book about Minecraft or Lego Ninjago, or my son is obsessed with Pokemon, even though he doesn't understand Pokemon, <laughs> and neither do I, yeah. but that's what he likes to read. So I'm like, hey, let's get that book, and he reads it. And is it what I would choose? No. But if that's going to be the um, kind of entry entry book into his literacy as a, as a person, then... Um, you know, like that's good. So I think those are some kind of low level, low hanging fruit ways to, uh, to kind of bring it all together and to see, you know, Hey, a female teacher to a boy, try those things and see what happens. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I think, uh, I saw that this one came across Twitter. Um, I think, uh, yesterday and I saw it and I was like, Ooh, that's a good, that's a good question. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, you know, it is, Men are definitely um, underrepresented in teaching, you know, compared to women. And it's something that we do need to be uh, cognizant and aware of, especially when you look at um, Hollywood and how they portray dads and they, how they portray men. And it's not always, uh, most of the time, it's not in a super positive way. It's, you know, like the dad's missing out of the picture or, you know, the dad's dumb or different things. And you look at those. And so I think that fighting those stereotypes is huge. Mm -hmm. um, and making sure that you are big on relationships, big on showing these kids that, Hey, you know what? You're consistent. You're going to be here. You care. And you want to see what's <clears> best. <throat> you want to do what's best for them. And having, having those real conversations. Yeah. Looking at how during our conversations in, in the classroom is how are the men portrayed in these situations? And then looking at it, if it is a, a time in history where, Hey, you know what? There were a lot of uh, males doing some pretty um, negative things then, hey, what can we do today as a society to shift that, to have some real conversations around those topics and use those as an opportunity to build relationships and have some authentic conversation, I think is huge. Also look at, you know, hey, we've talked about it before, uh, about getting outside, you know, with the kids. A lot of the time, uh, you know, you'll, you'll see in an elementary school that um, 
there's not a lot of people out playing with kids at recess. So looking looking at the opportunities that you might have to do that. It doesn't matter if you're male or female to do that. But I'll tell you right now, you get out into the soccer fields, you're going to build a lot or the baseball field or the tetherball, whatever it may be. You're going to build a lot of relationships and it's going to be it's going to be boy girl. But sometimes, depending on what you're participating in, it might mm-hmm. be boy heavy in some things. And you know what? That might be exactly what they needed to have happen. Um, you know, looking back at my own career, my I remember just getting out there and the flocks of boys that would be running over to play a different sport with me. There would be a couple girls in those and, and depending on the activity that I chose to do, and depending on what my focus was on that day, um, but really giving those opportunities to build relationships um, with all. Question number four, how do you maintain building relationships with all stakeholders holders over the summer months when school is out? Mm. Um, so, you know, I had this conversation with a principal the other day and really looking and being intent with making sure that we're continuing to tell our story all summer long um, and what we're doing to get kids to get excited and get ready for kids returning um, whenever they may return. And so for me, one of the things that I did was um, last year, I started off um, in the summer months, I started off sending out a weekly uh, read aloud where I would read a book in um, different areas, whether I was on vacation. I remember the first one was me reading a book on the steps, uh, the Rocky Steps in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. I remember that, yeah. Me reading a book <laughs> there. And the next, the next time I read, it might have been on a hiking trail with my family. And I'd be sending that out, creating that love of literacy all summer long, giving, giving parents an opportunity to talk to their children about reading um, and encouraging them to read and just continuing that conversation over the summer. Uh, I know a lot of kids school communities do like barbecues or do get togethers over the summer. Um, I think you really have to, you really have to get a read and temperature of your community and what would work best for you and looking for ways to break down the uh, stereotype of schools closed and nobody should be here over the summer. Yeah, this is an interesting question. Uh, my, my response has changed over the years. When I was a principal, I, I would do a, like remind text messages over time, kind of like winter break where, hey, you know, write a, write a journal blog post, uh, you know, read a, go to the library and read a book. And, you know, over the summer, I'm going to say now, like now that I'm a dad with kids in school, I would say my viewpoint is like, leave your stakeholders alone. <laughs> I mean, we, we're busy with my kids. I mean, my kids yeah. have been busy and we're going on vacation and I'm spending time with my kids and we're still reading and doing things. And like, I kind of want to be left alone. And now that I have kids in school for a few years and my, my daughter will be in third, my son will be in first. I'm okay without like having a connection to the school because, Hey, they're on break as well too. And they need to recharge and rejuvenate. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think it's a balance of it all. And that balance is a, is a tricky word because what is balanced and I'm going to say, I would say leave people alone. Don't worry about building relationships with stakeholders. Once they come back, then you continue that relationship with your stakeholders. Yeah, But don't you think that your, your viewpoint on that is a little different because you were, you're an educator and you're an involved parent. Maybe. Do you think, I mean, I I look around. uh, I don't think of myself as an educator. Now I think of myself as a parent. I'm still an educator, but I'm talking about with my like dad hat on. Yeah. If I was, you always have that, but you always have that, that background information and that unconscious bias towards to to lean towards that. But I think about too, like, I kind of don't want to be like poked with an email or a text message or a reminder from the school. 
Like we're doing our thing because, and like, let us do our thing. This is time. It's, I kind of think of it as like not completely apples for apples, but with your, with your staff, like I want my staff to rejuvenate and recharge if they're doing a summer job or if they're traveling or if they're spending time with family, like I'm not sending. And I didn't, I totally like, unless something catastrophic happened with a team member or something at school, I didn't, I didn't have contact with them. And if they text messaged me about something or whatever, that was one thing. It was like a one-on-one communication. It wasn't one to many. So I think putting that hat on too makes me even more validated in my response of like, leave your people alone because people are dealing with things and would it be nice to like hear from you? And I think like you reading to kids is amazing. Um, And the people that want to get the information will receive it. And the ones that don't, don't, I would just say, I'm going to leave them alone. Yeah. Any co-response over summer, I don't, I don't res- expect a response. Mm-hmm. But I know, like, here school's been out for what two and a half weeks, and uh, yesterday I sent out an email to um, to families uh, incoming, just welcoming um, them to the campus, and just with some different reminders and some different. We're changing our schedule and some of the, in kindergarten, so I wanted to send that out, and that was just to new families, nobody that's currently here. Mm-hmm. But just to get that information out there, I think that you can't go in with any communication over the summer with an expectation of a return. Um, I think yeah. that's one of the things I know when I posted out the videos, it was there to help those that wanted help. And then if you didn't, those get on my back. It's sure. not something that um, I was expecting. Sure. Next question. What is the best ed tech tool that every teacher should be using in their classroom? Super loaded question because there's so many ed tech tools. I was talking about with someone this week. I think there are too many ed tech tools. I think there are so many ed tech tools that people are using so many ed tech tools that they're actually not using many of the ed tech tools with fidelity and or correctly or correctly. And I would say if you're going to use ed tech tools in your classroom, which you should be because it's 2019, choose three to five tools. I see some people using like 10 to 15 and they're just going, they're not going deep. And I think the tool that we're using right now to record our podcast, Anchor, is mm-hmm. an uh, is a tool that every school, every classroom should be using. There is no reason why every school and every classroom does not have a podcast. Podcast, this is the golden era of podcasting right now. The, like the golden era. It is so easy to start a podcast, to record a podcast, to distribute a podcast for free and to get your message out there. There's no reason why... You should not have a weekly, if not bi-weekly podcast. Think about what to say, create an outline, and have your kids record the podcast. You don't need any fancy equipment. Ryan and I use our computers, and we do have a podcasting microphone. You don't need it. Sometimes we're at each other's homes recording from our phones because there's an app, too. And this one is Anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R.fm. It's free. It's easy. Start a podcast. Amen to that. Um, I think, uh, you know, careful about the ed tech tool thing. I think it's hard to tell you what every teacher should be using in their classroom because a lot of the time uh, people find a tool and they just want to use it um, and they don't look at what are you using it for? What's the return on investment in that? And so the biggest thing I, I want to say is find that, find some tools that you like, but then wait to use them until you find content that's usable with them mm-hmm. and making sure that uh, when you use them, we're good. We're good to go. Uh, one of the big things that we we, we use at my site um, and we absolutely love and it's a way to engage parents is uh, Class Dojo. Uh, we use it for uh, communication and just to have that updating and um, 
being able to have that constant communication with families, making sure that we set parameters so it isn't constant. Yeah. It's not all night long, but um, they are able to provide it. It's something we're very careful on in the um, negative because in Class Dojo, you can you do points and you can take away points. Mm -hmm. We don't do the takeaway points piece of it, but we do um, let parents know when awesome things are happening in the classroom and it's in a nice, secured environment so the pictures aren't out there um, on different social media platforms. Um, we do love to share the story of our school using social media, um, but we're careful with making sure that uh, parents and families' uh, privacy is respected as well. Yeah, 100%. Hey, tweet us your questions at Mr. Adam Welcome or at SheHeRW, and we'll try to answer as many as we can on our next show. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you're hearing on our podcast, we'd appreciate you giving us a review and subscribing.